Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Odson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem, Eric Scopel on the show with me as always, and a little late, than, but better than never on this Monday, getting you ready for a big week in the Oregon football program. We have a lot to track. Oregon's defense coordinator, Andy Avalos, is a primary target for a head coaching job. We are also preparing for a bowl game on the 2nd, which is Saturday against Iowa State. Top 10 opponents, a lot going on. Plus, recruiting will be kicking up into high gear again here in a couple days. All coming up next on the Austin Audible's podcast. Before we dive into the show, I want to remind everybody today you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com for one month for $1.995 after that. $1 $1 gets your first month inside scoop, expert analysis, opinion, read all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network, not just our work, everyone's work. You get also access to an online community full of Duck fans, and you can get all of this just for $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter that. Uh, Eric, it's kind of, it's been a while since we've done a podcast, about six days or so. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays to you, happy holidays to all our listeners, where should we begin? Like, there's a lot to, 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 to digest here. Let's start with what's probably more likely to be more newsworthy sooner, which is whether or not Oregon will need to be looking for a new defensive coordinator. Um, because I think we're going to have all week to talk about this football game. Yes. Well, I shouldn't say I think. We, I know we're going to have all week to talk about this football game. We might not have a whole lot of time to talk about this defensive court you know, about Andy Avalos and whether or not he's taking the Boise State job or not. Because in theory, that could be decided in the next, and again, we're recording about 10.30 on Monday morning, that could be decided in the next 24, 48, 72 hours. Um, I think we should start there, and then we can spend the, the back half of the show looking a little bit more closely at the Cyclones. I've done a deeper dive. I've got a little bit more better idea on what they, the challenges they present. But I just think, like, well, let's start here. Andy Avalos will be co- will be coaching in this game. I think that's pretty clear. I would yes. be surprised if he's not. But this could be, in theory, his final game coaching at Oregon. And I know we mentioned this briefly, I think, on our last podcast, or maybe we didn't. There's been a lot of time that's taken place. We can happy holidays to those listening. Um, New Year's coming up here in a few days. But uh, this is a really big deal. And you look at this Oregon defense and the way it's made strides the last couple of years, I think – Certainly you feel really confident, at least I do, in Mario Cristobal's ability to go out and acquire quality coaches. I mean, every single hire he's made, I think, has been an improvement almost. Yeah, it's almost like he's improved upon the past one. I just think it's going to be hard to do better than Andy Avalos, really. I mean, like, and remember, when he came in, there was some discussion of, like, well, they've got some other names out there. Is this really the right choice? And I think he he put that kind of question to bed in short order. Oregon's defense in 2019 was lights out and really, really good. And I know 2020 started out really slowly, had some really tough games. I think that Oregon State game, probably one of the more frustrating games to watch as somebody who covers Oregon or or whatnot 
from a defensive perspective because like the Beavers could do whatever they wanted whenever they wanted to. But the two games since then against Cal, I know they lost that game. The defense was awesome in that game. And against USC, the best offense I would say Oregon's faced all season, the defense was just all over the place and played really, really well. So losing someone like this would be devastating. So let's start here, Matt. What's kind of the latest? What are we thinking? Do we, what's kind of our confidence level that Andy Avalos will be Oregon's defensive coordinator past January 2nd? Um, probably 50-50. Yeah. Like, I, I think this is probably when Oregon hired Andy Avalos, he was a high-profile young assistant coach that was a couple of years away from potentially becoming a head coach and probably more of the three to four range at Boise, but his arrival at Oregon kind of accelerated that if he had the success that we all anticipated Oregon to have under Andy Avalos. And there was always this notion, I think, when he first got hired two years ago that this guy's not going to be in Eugene for a long time. And I think if you looked at it as if, if Oregon got four years out of Andy Avalos, you are jumping up and down because that's probably twice as long as what you would realistically expect to have him. If you had the success and on the field as a, as a program that you expected to have these last two seasons at Oregon, you were probably hoping best case four, more realistic case three, probably maybe, maybe, maybe even a more realistic two, and that's kind of where we're at. I mean, keep in mind, like Colorado looked at Andy Avalos last year right. to be their head coach. So Duck fans being upset about, you know, losing a DC, like this comes with the territory. You hire up and coming coaches, you have huge success on the football field and you are going to see other, other programs go for your coaches. Now, the interesting part here is, is I don't know if if Oregon was anticipating the Boise State job opening up, right? Um, this this quickly because Brian Harson leaves for Auburn, and it's kind of ironic, right? Like Auburn <laughs> tried really hard to get Mario Cristobal, didn't get him. They hire someone else, and Brian Harson, and it still impacts the Oregon program. Whether Andy Avalos gets the head coaching job there or not, it it's at least impacted the program in some way here. Um, looking at this now, it's, it's, you know, this is a job where I've, I've said it on DuckTerritory.com. I've said it on Twitter. I'm saying it here. Andy Avalos has to decide is the Boise state, the job for his career where, Hey, I'm going to be here for 20 years. If I'm, if I have the way I want it to go, or I'm going to be here for 30 years as the head coach at Boise state, this is my pinnacle. This is where I want to be. This was my dream job. Or is this a job to get to the dream job? That's what it's going to come down to in my eyes for if, if Andy Avalos gets offered the job at Boise, because if he gets offered the job and it's just one of the jobs to get him to his ultimate dream job, there could be arguments to be made that he could wait a year or, or two years at Oregon and get an even better gig than Boise State. He could get a power five job that's got resor- better resources and better uh, 
infrastructure to win at a high level quicker than Boise. But don't get me wrong, Boise is a really good job. It's probably yes. the best power. It's probably the best group of five job out there. Um, but if it's the job for Andy Avalos, there's no money that Oregon could throw. There's no title that Oregon could add. There's no responsibilities they could give him that would trump coaching at his dream job. It's just like anyone else out there of, you know, growing up, I'm sure Eric, you felt the same way. At some point in my career, it was, I want to work for ESPN. Like that is the pinnacle of my job. Now that's changed. Um, It's not my pinnacle anymore, but at, at some point in my life growing up, I was, it would be awesome to work at ESPN and I would take that job over anything else out there. And this is Andy Avalos. Is this is Boise state that for Andy Avalos where no matter who comes calling, he wants the Boise state job. Absolutely. Right. I mean, that, that means something. And, and, you know, how attached is he to that program? Obviously we know he played there. That that's something that needs to be acknowledged. Right? I mean, he started there as a linebacker. I mean, a really great player when he played there, he coached there for a better part of half a decade. Um, had a lot of success as both a linebackers coach, defensive backs coach, corner, or a, and a defensive coordinator. Um, and you're right. Like if this is – you're competing against an awful lot if this is the job he just ultimately has been hoping to get for a long time. And that's a losing proposition. I don't – no money is going to impact that. I mean, we should note he goes there. He'll almost certainly be getting some sort of financial – Improve, right? It'll be more than he's making at Oregon. Oregon won't be able to match a head coaching salary. He'll get up Boise State as a coordinator. Oregon can can try and probably would, right? Make an F, hey, make right. an overture. They'll try and keep him. Yeah, of course. And they'll try to say, hey, and Mario Cristobal will try to say, hey, let's, we'll, we'll give you 80, 80 cents on the dollar to what you can get at Boise State to stay here and be a coordinator. And hey, in a couple of years, if this is not your dream job, maybe they'll have a better, maybe a, another job like a Colorado or another, you know, power five head coaching job opens up and that's, that's a better setup for you. Now um, there's also the argument here of like, let's say this isn't his dream job. What, what, what's a quicker route to a better power five head coaching job being a group of five head coach or being a power five defensive coordinator at a powerhouse program. I think there's like legitimate arguments one way or the other. I mean, like Brian Harrison, who just took the Auburn job, he was at Boise State as the head coach for about six years, sorry, sorry, seven years before he got a job like Auburn. I know he had opportunities in the past. His name was, I think, even attached when, when Cristobal was kind of a candidate for the head coaching job after Taggart left at Oregon. Obviously, that didn't go through. And he was 69 and, and 19 at uh, Boise State, had some such, you know, significantly impressive seasons there, always had them competing for, for Mountain West championships. Um, he could even look at this from a perspective of, Maybe I go to a place like Boise State for a little bit of time and then elevate, you know, and get some, get some head coaching reps under my belt that are really, like Matt said, like a premier, one of the best Power Five programs out there, or sorry, group of five power programs out there, and then take, a, take the leap at the next level. But I actually think it's a quicker route to go from coordinating at a school like Oregon than it is to go from a head coaching job at, at a smaller school like I almost kind of look at this like this is a strange analogy but you think about when you get like a high profile European basketball player 
who like they have their grainy film over playing over like I kind of I remember uh, Dante Exum. I'm, I'm just a super deep dive, deep cut stuff here. But like when he came over as like a top five draft pick, everybody was ecstatic about him. But then you say, well, if he would have played at like Duke for a couple of years, maybe people would have soured because he would have had the the reps. Well, if he goes to Boise State and, and has a hard time running a program, that's going to make it really difficult for him to move up and to be a potential Power Five, SEC, ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten, Big Twelve, whatever conference head coach. Right. If he struggles at Boise State, a place that always wins, almost never, you know, falls beneath nine, 10, 11 wins a season. That's going to make it really difficult for him to take that next step. If he stays at Oregon, where he's already proven to be an extremely accomplished coordinator, I think that's a quicker path to him being, you know, a, a coach at a higher level of, of they'll pick, you know, they'll pick him up off from from that spot. So I think that's kind of also what you're weighing. And I think Matt's right in terms of like, if this is the dream job, Oregon's not going to win this. But I think if this is a Boise state's a stepping stone to whatever is the job he is eyeing or hoping to get, maybe he wants to, I know he's from California. Maybe he wants to be the head coach at like USC, UCLA, Cal or Stanford or something like that, or, or a coach at one of the Arizona schools where he was, I think briefly mentioned being at Oregon as a defensive coordinator, from my perspective, probably is more beneficial to getting there because there's just not going to be and, and, the, and the flip side is also if you bet on yourself and you go to Boise State and you go like 12 and 1 11 and 2 in two seasons you're going to have the pick of the litter you're going to be that hot name you're going to be a coach that is that is wanted but if you go there and you take your lumps a little bit because you've never been a head coach it's going to be a little more difficult I think to, to kind of get back to this spot where he is now where he's this young exciting coordinator um, who kind of has his unproven track record what what happens now is we we know Boise has interest in Andy Avalos, and there's also interest in Montana State head coach Jeff Choate. Um, he was a former coach for Boise, worked under Peterson, um, Chris Peterson at Boise State, and then followed him over to Washington, uh, and has now been at Montana State for a couple of years. And then Kellen Moore, uh, the former Boise State quarterback, current Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator. Moore is probably the top target for Boise State. Um, and then depending upon who you talk with, uh, Jeff Choate or Andy Avalos being the, the second uh, choice here. And one note to look at is you go back to Boise State head coaches dating all the way back to the, the late 90s. Um, early 2000s, every head coach and hire that they have made the last two decades has come from a, a, a coach who has an offensive background. And that does not fit Andy Avalos. So you look at this and think, okay, this is also – a Boise State program that doesn't have an, uh, an athletic director right now. So you also have to take that into consideration. Who's really running the show right now? They've hired a search firm, but it's it's there's a lot of intangibles out here where we just don't really know um, where things are going. But Houston Nutt was hired by Boise State in, in 1997, and he was an offensive-minded coach. And then Dirk Cotter replaced him from Morgan, offensive-minded coach. Dan Hawkins, uh, he was a coordinator that was promoted, offensive coordinator. Chris Peterson was promoted after being Hawkins' coordinator. 
Brian Harson was hired from Arkansas State, and he had an offensive coordinator experience at Boise prior to that. And now we're placing Brian Harson. So it could be Jeff Coat, an offensive line coach by trade, Kellen Moore, quarterback, offensive coordinator, or DC Andy Avalos. So, you know, history says it's important. Yeah, it's good notes. History says it's it's not going to be Andy Avalos because since 1997, Boise State has hired an offensive-minded coach. Um, but I think it speaks volumes to how seriously they are considering him because it would buck the trend, and, and he feels like the maybe the most realistic option for them. It's going to be really interesting to see what the next couple of days hold here. Um, again, and another part of this is like, and if we're just being Oregon centric with it, which of course we are, is where's Avalos's head at right now? Where's his focal point? He's, we know he's interviewed for this job that takes away at least some time from preparing for Iowa state, which is, and we'll talk about this in the back end here, a really, really impressive program. And, and of course I'm sure Mario Cristobal is really smart and, and really, really committed to making sure this team wins. And I'm sure they've found ways around that. I'm sure there's been, open dialogue to ensure that the preparation hasn't taken a hit at all. And I'm sure they worked through Christmas, even Christmas and all the way through the weekend, you know, tirelessly to prepare for this, but it it is somewhat of an advantage. I think to Iowa state to at least have one of Oregon's three most important coaches on the coaching staff (laughs) with his head, at least kind of somewhere else. Right. I mean, his, his mind's at least somewhere else slightly um, over this time period here. And of course, if, if Avalos, does take this job in the next couple of days. I do think I would be stunned if he didn't coach the bowl game. I would think that would be something he would, there's no reason not to, um, but you're going to have, that's going to be a storyline here. If he does take the job and that's a big if, and again, we might do our podcast, our mailbag on Wednesday and have to devote some of the show. And I'm sure the questions would reflect that if, if Avalos takes that job to talking about what impacts Avalos's decision one way or the other might have on that game. But it's certainly going to be notable from an Oregon perspective of what he decides to do here and what these next couple of days, just, you know, determine it's been a crazy year that has had all sorts of uncertainty and adversity and unexpectedness. And you have your defensive coordinator, again, one of the most important coaches on the entire coaching staff, who's now at least kind of, at least is, I don't want to say lacks focus because that's unfair to him, but at least has some more things on his mind than just the football game. Let's take a break for a second and we come back. Um, Let's discuss this Iowa State game against in the Fiesta Bowl and kind of just our early feelings, some early storylines to watch coming up next here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopo with me as always, and... Uh, getting ready for the Fiesta Bowl, the 2021 Fiesta Bowl against number 10, Iowa State. Oregon is number 25 in the country. Um, Oregon, one of two Pac-12 teams playing in a bowl game this year. Colorado being the only one uh, outside of the Pac-12 in Oregon in this game. And it's it's a one in which um, – for, for Oregon, from the Fiesta Bowl standpoint, they're a slight underdog. But I look at this, and Eric, I just – I'm having a really hard time getting past the talent gap here. I mean, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being too much of a homer here. But just looking at on 24-7 sports is, you know, the, the team talent composite. You know, Oregon is in the top 15. Iowa State is out of the top 50. And I just look at this and think, on paper, if Oregon comes in and plays the game that they should, they should play, this should be a, a blowout win for Oregon almost. Like, I, I'm just having a hard time getting past that. Yeah, I think I and, – and, and, of course, I, we communicated very similar perspectives last week right after the bowl was announced and, and the opponent was announced, and I – can't disagree with your assessment there. From a pure talent perspective, Oregon has the better team. It's not even close. This is a team that is comparable to like Oregon State from a talent perspective, if you just use the 24-7 composite rankings. The, the part that's notable is that this team also had the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Both those players were, were All-Americans. They had four, you know, The AP just came out with its All-American list um, earlier today on Monday. Iowa State had four All-Americans, Oregon had one. So you could make an argument there. Hey, Iowa State, from a talent perspective, is better, right? Um, I think everything we've heard and seen about Matt Campbell, Iowa State's head coach, is he's just really, really good. And this is a guy who, more than likely, if he wants it, will end up at one of the the premier coaching positions in the country. If he wants it, he might be one of those Mike Leach guys where – he just is a little different breed. I'm not making the comparison that he's like kind of off his rocker like Mike Leach is, but I'm just saying like, you know, someone like Mike Leach from a coaching mindset, from a talent perspective could have had a lot of jobs in theory, but ended up coaching at smaller schools. And now he's at Mississippi state, which is what, like the seventh most, you know, desirable coaching job in the sec. But I look at Matt Campbell and think if he wants to be a head coach at a big school, like he's going to be sometime he's going to be a, a head coach at a, a Michigan if a Jim Harbaugh leaves or something like that, or maybe a Texas or something, or maybe he ends up coaching in the SEC at one of those schools. I just think he's that kind of caliber. He's a young coach, really successful at Iowa state. So that I give him that credit. I think the thing here for me, if I'm Oregon is this feels a lot like last year's game with Wisconsin, um, where I think this is a big physical bruising football team that is going to try to maul Oregon at the line of scrimmage, is going to try to kind of take the air out of the ball. They're going to run the crap out of it. Brees Hall is the nation's leading rusher. 
Um, even in a shortened season, he ran for about 1,400 yards. That's like fourth all-time at Iowa State, um, even compared to seasons where they played 12, 13, 14 games. They did play 11. So they, and that's another thing that I think maybe maybe we have to note here. Iowa State to played, ask yeah, Iowa State's played twice as many games. <laughs> I mean, that's is that an advantage? Is that a disadvantage? Um, it's certainly notable. I mean, that this is. I mean, to go into a bowl game, you almost exclusively are going to have two teams that have played at most one one different. Maybe a team didn't play in a conference championship game; the other team did. So it's like thirteen versus twelve. This is eleven versus six. That's that's not an insignificant gap in terms of games played this year. How much of an advantage is that for Iowa State? Obviously, more practices included there too because their their fall camp and their season preparation was different. But I look at this and I agree with you, Matt. I think from a talent perspective, Oregon's better. I think from a perspective of who has the better athletes, Oregon is better. I think from a who's, which team is going to have more players in the NFL, Oregon is going to have the advantage there. I think the coaching part is probably going to be very even. Maybe Iowa State, just from what we've seen this year with the way they've competed, has a bit of an advantage. And I don't want to dis- discount Oregon's staff, which has multiple coaches with head coaching experience. Andy Avalos is, is somebody who's obviously being looked at as a potential head coach. But like to me, this is another one, and I know this is, and we'll talk, we'll break this down more and later in the week, when we when we speak to some Iowa State people, when we do our predictions, when we deep dive into all of this stuff. I really think this is another game similar to the to the Wisconsin game where Oregon can win at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. And we should note Iowa State, I think, ranks tenth nationally against the run. You know, and, and in terms of rushing the football, they have the nation's leading rusher. They are really strong there. But if Oregon can win those battles, I agree, Matt. This could be a blowout. This could be a game where Oregon wins by three scores. And I wouldn't be stunned at all if that's what happens. That if, if Oregon can keep Reese Hall under 100 yards rushing, I, by the way, I did my, my, my five predictions for the week. That was one of them. But if they can do that, if they can themselves run the ball effectively in this game, who knows what C.J. Burdell and his availability is. We kind of thought he'd play against USC. That was the indication. We turned on the game on Friday. He wasn't even in Southern California for that game. But if they can kind of get their run game in groove again, I think they're the better team, and I think they're very capable of winning this game. And, like, it's sort of interesting to me, Matt, and I'll flip it back to you because I've talked for a while on this, but it's kind of interesting that Oregon is an, you know, is an underdog in this game, I think, from a certain perspective because I almost, I almost I guarantee you going into the season – if these two teams on even footing without any games played were to play on a neutral site in the season opener, Oregon would have been like a seven or eight point favorite. So the fact that it's now four and a half, five points the other way speaks a lot, by the way, to Vegas's perspective and the fans perspective, the, you know, the gambler's perspective on what Iowa state's done this year. But I'm also curious if it's just like a big 12 versus PAC 12 thing, which I still think, is a little bit unfair in how they're judging him because I don't think the Big 12 showed well at all at a conference. I mean, we should note, Iowa State lost to Louisiana by 17 points in its first game this season. It's not like the Big 12 went out and just like was dominating in non-conference play. And Oregon, of course, in the Pac-12 didn't play any non-conference games. But I guess I'm a little surprised at the perspective here that you're going Big 12 versus Pac-12. And we should note, the other bowl game that the Pac-12 plays is the Alamo Bowl. That's Texas-Colorado, another Big 12-Pac-12 game. I'm a little su- surprised the perspective here is the Big 12's second best team and the Pac-12's best team that the Big 12 is favored in this game. I just am. I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. I'm surprised by it. I think Oregon has a chance to win this game and win it pretty decisively. But I guess I'm more than anything. I'm just kind of surprised that that's the national narrative right now. I really am. I look at this and, and you nailed it on the fir- first one. They've got to stop Hall. Um, 
this is a guy that, that you said led, leads the country in rushing yards and he's also it's it's not like this is just a really fast running back and you're really elusive he's big, big. he's yeah. 6 215 he's gonna run you over and Oregon's gonna have to be able to stop the run no matter what whether it's a blowout win or it's a close contest Oregon has to be able to stop the run and then I I go back to this and think, okay, well, how can how can Oregon win this game? What are the things that that Oregon has to be able to do to win this game? And one, stopping the run. Two, I think the easy one is creating turnovers, right? And yeah. it being able to capitalize on that. And then three, for me, going into this week, which will springboard going into the offseason, is what do you get from Tyler Shuck at quarterback? Yep. Because – there's there's two storylines on uh, going on here at quarterback for the, for this week. One is who plays. Is it Tyler Shuck? Is it Anthony Brown? Um, is it both? Is it both? Or and then secondly, the next storyline is what happens after this game. What is the storyline going into the offseason like at quarterback? Is it completely wide open? Where hey, we don't know who the starter is because Tyler Shuck did not end the year well statistically and he he he's mentally in a funk and is struggling and the job is now completely wide open for anyone on the roster to win the job or is it a case where Tyler Shuck comes out and plays well against Iowa State and while it's not 100% his job it's hey he's overwhelmingly the favorite going in it's going to need to take a really big performance in the spring and from uh, summer camp to unseat him as the starting quarterback. And I think that is maybe the biggest key here for this game for Oregon is above stopping Hall, above creating turnovers, above self-mistakes and limiting those. I I think the, the biggest difference in this game from a positive or a negative aspect for Oregon is what kind of production do you get at quarterback and who gives it to you? Because that impacts the game on Saturday and if Oregon finishes the year with back-to-back new year six bull wins and rides into the sunset with a ton of momentum or on the other side, if it's not Tyler Shuck, that creates a huge cloud of uncertainty going into this offseason at the most important position uh, on the, on the field, either side of the ball for a team, I think Eric in 2021 that has the idea and the makeup of being a playoff contender. Couldn't agree more. I, I think that's exactly what's on the line here. It, it, it's bigger than this game. It's bigger than this season from an Oregon perspective, especially a Tyler Shuck perspective of, of course, winning the Fiesta Bowl is the goal. That, you know, again, I mean, you look at the last two seasons, two consecutive conference championships, two consecutive New York six champ- uh, bowl wins. Not a lot of teams in the country can say that. That gives you a huge edge from a momentum perspective on the recruiting trail. From the national perspective, it kind of cements, and I think it already is kind of cemented right now from my perspective, that Oregon is really the preeminent, the big dogs, again, in the Pac-12. Again, Mario Cristobal deserves a lot of credit in short order for accomplishing that. But it's bigger than that, too, because Oregon needs to figure out what it's got at quarterback. And we've now seen a couple of games in a row here. And I'll include the Oregon State game, not because I think he played terrible, but because I think, unfortunately, when they needed a couple of 
they needed a couple of first downs. He couldn't get it done. And when they needed him to play mistake-free football, he threw a couple of interceptions. But these last three games, two of which they've lost, one of which was a close win, he has not played well at all. And this Boise State game, sorry, Boise State on the mind, obviously. This Iowa State game, the Fiesta Bowl. Can't do that. You can't do that. And if he comes out and lays another egg, it it's going to be very difficult for Mario Cristobal, Joe Moorhead, Tyler himself to field questions going into this offseason. And I fully expect either way that it's going to be a, you know, that, that Tyler is going to be said, oh, he's he was the starter last season. He's the leader in the clubhouse going into next season, but it's an open competition. Because, look, this year it was an open competition all the way through fall camp until we didn't even get a name to starter. We weren't actually never named a starter. It was just the season opened and Tyler Shuck was the first quarterback getting reps. Right. So I fully expect that'll be something similar next year, unless Tyler just dominates this game. But like, if he drops, if he plays a bad game again, this is, I think, I don't want to say it's wide open. I'd still say like Tyler is the favorite, probably give him 50, 50, 60, 40 odds to start the first game against Fresno state next year. Like we said before, maybe even a little better than that, just because the continuity perspective, but this is huge from a hit from a quarterback perspective of if he can't get it done and this is his fourth straight game, in either a rivalry or a really close game or a conference championship or a bowl game. These are the moments that you need to see what you've got at this position. And if he just can't get it done, you got to pull the plug or at least be open to pulling the plug. And I know Mario and Joe Moorhead have all been, I think handled this like a, Hey, we're, we're being patient with Tyler. He's still a young quarterback. You know, he's our quarterback perspective, trying to give him votes of confidence. But at a certain point, the season ends and it has to be a look at 2021 and 2021, like you said, Matt has all the makings to be a really special season in terms of everybody that can come back. And we expect a lot of these guys to be back all the recruits they brought in. You can't go into it being like we have a terrible, you know, we had a quarterback who just couldn't get out of his own way at the end of the season. And he's leading this offense. You need to go into it thinking, Hey, we've either know we've got a good quarterback or we've got a wide open competition. It can't be, we're sticking with Tyler, even though Tyler wasn't very good. Matt Hinton, um, National College Football Reporter, posted something on Twitter Monday morning around the timeline when Dwayne Haskins of the Washington football team got cut. And if you're unfamiliar who Dwayne Haskins is, he was a first-round draft pick, top 10 pick in, I believe, the 2019 NFL draft. Um so less than two years after drafting him, the Washington Redskins have cut him. A pretty devastating, shocking move. And he fired off these tweets that's about quarterbacks in general. And after the news, he said, it's interesting that the timeline for first round QBs has shortened so dramatically. Prior to Tebow, it was unheard of to move on from a top pick in two years. But the college to NFL gap has shrunk. Young QBs are so much better ready to play immediately than in the past, even more true for college freshmen. These guys live it from such a young age that the traditional learning curve is basically irrelevant. You you got it or you don't, or maybe you do, but we can't afford to wait to find out. And we're at a point now where, fair or not, that's kind of what we're at with Tyler Shuck. Like, that, this is his third year in college, Oregon's bringing in elite recruit after elite recruit at the position. He was one. They followed it up with Kale Millen. 
They followed that up with Jay Butterfield and Robbie Ashford. And now they brought in the highest rated QB of the group in 2021 with Ty Thompson. And as we're seeing every year, more and more freshman quarterbacks, more and more young quarterbacks are able to play right away. I'm not advocating that Shuck get benched. I'm not advocating that, that Shuck is done after this season, but the pressure gets even bigger and bigger. The longer you wait and, and the, I guess the longer you have to wait to see if you're really, if the, if your option, your choice at quarterback is the guy or not. And it gets tougher and tougher to live up to expectations and fair or not with the off season he's had fair or not. We're at a point now where I, I really think, you know, this game is going to tell us a lot about where things go with Oregon in 2021 at the quarterback spot. Um, real quick, shifting off from from quarterback, Eric, Kayvon Thibodeau was recently named the um, third-team All-American at defensive end, uh, was the Pac-12 championship game MVP. I look at him and think he's probably the biggest difference maker in this game outside of Tyler Shuck. How much pressure does he generate on – um, Purdy, Brock Purdy, Iowa State's quarterback. Can he stop the run and, and help chase down Hall? What's the impact that Kayvon Thibodeau brings to the table? Because if he has a game like he did against USC, and I think that's very likely, where they they just can't stop him. And it's either going to have to be Iowa State living by the risk of Thibodeau every three or four plays making a big play, or they agree that, hey, we're going to double team, possibly even triple team Thibodeau, and we're going to worry about your other four or three pass rushers with our three or, you know, three other guys or four other guys. And we're essentially going to go, you know, max protect every time and limit our, our offensive attack through the air, or we're going to live, you know, dangerously with him getting one-on-one situations. A couple of things on that. First off, I would state – best team in the big 12 in protecting a quarterback 13 sacks in 11 games like 1.2 per game it's a really great number i think i think it was top 15 nationally i think 13th i just put it in my prediction story so this is an offensive line that has done a good job there they had two players that were um first or second team all big 12 offensive linemen so th- th- this is a good offensive line again top rushing offense Run the best best offense in the Big Twelve, um, you know, in in terms of protecting the quarterback. So this is going to be a a unique and challenging test for Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, another part is that this is an offense that does play a lot of two tight ends, and one of their tight ends, Charlie Kohler, was a third team All American. So he's a high end caliber player. He was a first team All Conference player, obviously, in the Big Twelve. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I agree with you, Matt. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see a lot of two tight end sets from Iowa State and we see one of those guys helping, whether it be the left tackle or the right tackle, an awful lot on Kayvon because they know what he can do. They just watched him completely wreck that game against USC off the edge. The other thing here, though, and this is one of my predictions. I'm not going to say them all because I want you to go read them is and I won't even disclose the whole thing, but I, what I wrote about in part is that there's 
not even probably a handful of players off the edge who are as athletic and as big a talents as Kayvon Thibodeau. You can throw the stats out the window from my perspective because you can say Iowa State's really good at protecting the quarterback, but they've never had to protect the quarterback against a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, he is a special, special talent. And what we've seen now in the last two years is when the moments are the biggest and the stages are the greatest, he comes through. And we saw that last year in the Pac-12 Conference Championship game against Utah. We saw that this year in the Pac-12 Conference Championship against USC. We saw that in big moments down the stretch of both the last two seasons of when, when, in, when it's needed, he can be an absolute terror. And I think even though the stats would signal that, hey, Iowa State is really good against um, pass rush, against players off the edge, I think Iowa State's going to have – I think they're going to be surprised a little bit by the level of athlete right there. And this is, uh, again, uh, maybe a kind of an unfair comparison, but I think also I look at this and think, remember when DeAnthony Thomas took that opening kickoff return for a touchdown against Kansas State in the last Fiesta Bowl? I think there are going to be Iowa State fans and, and players that are thinking, you know, we've seen some really good athletes at Oklahoma and Texas but you haven't seen Kayvon Thibodeau. And I, I think there's going to be a level of, holy cow, how do you slow him down? How do you stop him? Because I'm with you, Matt. Even though this, like I said, this is a really good offensive line in terms of protecting the quarterback, they're going to use two tight ends. It's hard to neutralize this guy. I mean, USC, they've got some incredibly talented offensive linemen. I mean, one of their guys, Vera Tucker, would have he opted out and then decided to come back. He might, he might be a first or second round draft pick. Um, in 2021, and he stood no chance against Kayvon Thibodeau, and the guys Iowa State have do not have that sort of draft ceiling. So I, I'm with you. I think that, a lot, aside from Tyler Shuck, this is the biggest thing, is can they neutralize Kayvon Thibodeau on running pass plays? And especially, like, Oregon's best-case scenario to me is this, is they are able to neutralize the run game, and when Iowa State throws it, Brock Purdy doesn't stand a chance because he's running for his life all day because of Kayvon Thibodeau. <laughs> There's going to be a lot to uh, break down this week as we get ready for Oregon versus Iowa State. 1 p.m. kickoff from Glendale, Oregon, Iowa State. Games on ESPN. Dave Pash, Mike Golick Sr. I think this is Mike Golick's last official piece of work for ESPN in his career wow. is, is calling this game with ESPN and Dave Pash. Um, really excited to see his play out. It's going to be a good game. We'll have full coverage leading up to the week weekend, I should say, and then we'll have post-game coverage as usual. Um, until we talk to you for the Mailbag podcast on Wednesday, we'll talk to you then. Talk to you later, folks. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Sample, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.